Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Hey, let me say welcome to Church 307, to the guys over at the prison and at the jail, and those of you who are here in the room. There are a lot of you here today. I don't know if you guys got the memo, but people quit going to church in July. That's that's what people do uh, at normal churches. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Let cat out of the bag. Uh, no, but uh, it is great to see you today. We're starting a new series in the book of 1 John. And if you want to read the book, I'd invite you. It, you can do it this afternoon. Go read through the book of 1 John as we dive into it for the next few weeks. And I think it'll be powerful. I think it'll be impactful for you, uh, and we'll get a lot out of it. Have you ever been in one of those seasons in life where it just feels like, uh, like that? I, I have those seasons in my life a lot. It, usually for me, the, when I recognize I'm in one of those seasons is when I feel like everybody else is happy and I'm mad. Why does everybody else seem just so chipper and the more happy you are, the more pissed it makes me and I'm sick of seeing you be happy. I don't want it any, I'm annoyed at your happiness. Anybody else? Anybody? Honesty. Nope. We got a bunch of liars in the room. You've never been there. Uh, So here's, here's usually in my life when I experience those times is when I am, uh, we have a newborn, a baby. And if you've ever had a newborn baby in your house before you just don't know like the only way i can think of to describe it is you know after uh at the end of navy seal training they do that thing called hell week you ever heard of hell week and for a week they just put them through as much torture as they possibly can just to prove how strong they are and how tough they are and I don't know why they do this, but this is what they do. And they just find themselves wet at all hours of the day. Or they get woken up in the middle of the night and somebody's screaming at them. And it's like they'll, the screaming just gets louder and louder and louder until you finally give the screaming person what he wants. That's parenting. It's like the exact same thing, except they only have to do it for a week. That's weak, Navy SEALs. I think what they should have done is they should have sent a bunch of new parents to get bin Laden instead of SEAL Team 6. They would have killed him just because he woke the baby up. That's just the right. No, but when I have a newborn, I feel like I'm just walking around like in darkness. I'm just like, I don't have enough sleep. Everybody else is fine and I'm not fine. And it's just not okay. And so my question is, when you go through one of these seasons in life where it feels like you're just walking around in darkness, scripture, specifically um, Jesus, gives us an idea of how to get out of that darkness. And it's one of those that sometimes Jesus gives you advice about how to live life. And you're like, wait, that doesn't connect. 
That, that advice does not connect to my problem. I don't see how logically doing what you say I should do is going to fix my problem. But Jesus does this all the time. He's like, trust me. Let me tell you how you're going to get out of this bad season of life. This is what he says. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You think that you're going to solve your problems in all these other ways, but here's what you need to know. Come to me and I will give you rest. The only way this works is if he really is who he said he was and he really knows what he's talking about. and He's got some power over the supernatural. There is light at the other end of the tunnel. In this case, there is light at the other end of the sermon. So listen up. We're going through the book of 1 John, and, and there's a theme beginning in uh, the beginning of 1 John about God being the light in a dark world. It says, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. There is no place for darkness in God's presence. Have you ever lived in darkness? Our world calls it things like depression or anxiety. A lot of times I talk to people, for them it's more anger, sadness. But whatever you, you call it, sometimes people just get to the place where they just feel hopeless. I, I'm just, I don't, I don't have hope. I don't see the light. I'm just in darkness. I can't get out. John says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. Then we are not practicing the truth. Practicing or doing. Like we think of truth as an intellectual idea. He's like, no, the truth is something you do. The truth is something you practice. The truth is something that you follow. If you're living in darkness, then there's something that Jesus is telling you to do that you are not doing. You are not following. What does it mean that God is light? It means that we don't walk in darkness and depression anymore. We are not angry or anxious anymore. Paul tells us that when we are saved, then we see things more clearly. He calls it the renewing of your mind. When you become a child of God, he changes your mind. And you see things differently. He says, but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. So this is one of the things that he says, do. If you're living in darkness, do this. What? Fellowship. Community. Trust. Support. Love one another. The light leads us to community. If you think that you can become the person that God created you to be without the church, you are wrong. We desperately need the church. We live in a world that just wants to be spiritual. I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but, but I, don't want to do, I don't want anything to do with the church. I can, just, I can just read the Bible, and I can pray, and I can be a good person. That's enough for me. I don't need all that church stuff. No. 
That is not the gospel. That is not doing the gospel. That is isolation and it's selfish. It's self-centered. It's me-centered in a world that God has told us to be others-focused. How are you going to be others-focused in isolation? That's sinful. He says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the darkness that the sin causes. Jesus didn't invite his disciples to follow him so that they could just live good lives, just so that they could be happy. He invited the disciples to follow him so that they could become like Christ, so that they could do the things that he commanded us to do, to become fishers of men, to be others-focused. The gospel is an invitation to participate. Can you get into heaven without going to church? Yes. But you cannot become the person that God created you to be without the church. And there's some of you watching on Church 307, and for some reason you need to watch church from home. I get it. There's, there's many reasons for that. But within that, if, if that's the reality you live in, you can't neglect community. In some way, you have to find a way to have community, whether it's an online life group or whatever you can do. We need community. Okay, Bible trivia time. Have we ever do Bible trivia when you were in, growing up in church? We did. We had these pads on our seats that you would sit on the pad, and then if you knew the question, you'd jump up, and the pad could know if you were the first one to jump out of your seat. Technological advancements back there in the 90s. Bible trivia time. Question number one. Who wrote 1 John? This is a hard one. John. Okay, it's not a hard one at all. Uh, John wrote the book of John. And who was John's brother? A little harder. You're all whispering it, but nobody's confident enough to say it out loud. James. James is the brother of John. And James and John have a nickname together. What? Sons of... Yeah, it is. That's a cool nickname. Sons of Thunder. I have a twin brother. If you want to just call Steve and I Sons of Thunder, I'd be okay with that. Just make a t-shirt. No, they, they're called the Sons of Thunder. What kind of personality do you have to have to get the nickname Sons of Thunder. The reality is we don't have a lot of information about why Jesus called them Sons of Thunder, but we do have some stories that kind of give us an idea. Here's one of those stories. We read in the book of Luke. It says, the people of Samaria, is kind of like the enemies of the Jews, did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is a Jew. You're going to Jerusalem. You're the enemy. The Samaritans did not like Jesus going to Jerusalem, right? So Jesus, as a Jew, is kind to them. They're not kind back. And how do the sons of thunder respond to the Samaritans rejecting Jesus? Did they say, oh, I'd, we could bake them some cookies. Maybe they'll like us. Maybe we can... Sing them a pretty song? I don't know. No. 
What did they say? When James and John saw this, they said, Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Sons of thunder. Okay. This is, we're just going to jump straight to the nuclear option. We're going to call down fire from heaven. Does anybody know this guy? You know him. You, you, you're, it's the dad screaming at your kid's soccer game, assuming that it is the most important thing in the world. Screaming at every referee as if the bad call that they made is going to end your child's future. That's the sons of thunder. The guy who always wants to get into every political argument, he fights every single battle. There are eight Enneagrams. But the sons of thunder started spending time with Jesus. And you see through the life of James and John that some things about their instincts changed over time. They started spending time with Jesus. And, and how did Jesus respond when they said this? Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. Not, yeah, let's do it. Let's get them. Let's get the bad guys. He rebuked them. And little by little, John's mentality started to change. In fact, eventually, John gave himself a new nickname. No longer Sons of Thunder. He didn't call himself a Son of Thunder. When John referred to himself in his books, what did he call himself? Anybody know? The disciple that Jesus loved or the one that Jesus loved. When I first read this uh, growing up, I always thought John was a super braggy guy. Good for you. You're Jesus' favorite. Great. But then I started reading John and the context around when he called himself this. And I don't think that's what he was doing at all. I think John had reached a point where he was just completely overwhelmed that Jesus could possibly love him, even him. He saw Jesus' love for him. If, if, I can, if Jesus can love even me, he can love you. John was humbled by, overwhelmed by Jesus' love for him. Jesus' love for John is what defined John in his own eyes. If you want to know what's important about me, if you want to know what's valuable about me, let me tell you what it is. It's that Jesus loves me. And that's all that matters. Everything else falls into line if that's true. I think there's somebody here today walking in darkness that needs to hear. It's not just John. You are the one that Jesus loved. If you were the only person on this planet, Jesus would have come to die on a cross to rescue you from your sins. I don't know what regrets you have, what shame you feel, but you are loved unconditionally. Jesus told a parable of a, a woman who lost coin. And she didn't just say, eh, eh, I got more. What did she do? How did she react to losing this coin? Jesus says, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? 
If you are living in darkness, you are the lost coin. If you are living apart from Christ, then you should know that Jesus lit a lamp in this world. He set it on fire to come and find you, to rescue you. One time Jesus was talking about uh, um, how sometimes we judge unbelievers. And he said, or I'm sorry, he was talking about people who judge unbelievers. And he said, ignore them. He's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are blind guides leading the blind. What do you call someone that can't see the light? It's right there in front of you. Why don't you, the truth is right there with you. Why can't you see it? What do we call somebody who can't see the light? They are blind. If you can't see the light that is right in front of you, you are blind. And until you have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter how special you think you are. You are blind. You just can't see the light. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. If you wonder why our world is in a ditch, you should know that we got a lot of blind people leading blind people. And to the outside world, when you talk about spiritual things, when you talk about Jesus, it just looks like stupidity. Why? Because they're blind. They can't see it. Those of us who have said yes to him, our eyes are opened. Our minds are changed. All of a sudden, it begins to make sense. But on the outside, it just looks like foolishness, Jesus says. So we don't just want to be surrounded by people. It's not just about fellowship in general. We want to surround ourselves with people who are not blind. Surround yourself by people who see the light. People's lives who, uh, whose eyes have been opened to the light of Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to live in darkness anymore. Light extinguishes darkness. Christians, we are people of the light. That is who we are. We don't walk in darkness anymore. That's not just a cool perk of being a Christian. That is who we are. Get saved and receive life. And with that life comes sight, comes light. Remember, darkness is not the opposite of light. Darkness is the absence of light. If you want to remove darkness from your life, you don't do it by focusing on the darkness. You're not going to do it by trying to remove bad things from your life. If, if The only way that you can put light into your life is by putting light into your life. Focus on adding light. Focusing on adding good things, good relationships. Not removing darkness. Focus on Jesus because light extinguishes darkness. When God saved Israel from Egypt, did he give them the law and then pull them out of Egypt? Or did he save them from Egypt, and then give them the law. We're doing a lot of Bible trivia today. 
Jesus saved them and then he gave them the law. This is consistent all the way through everything Jesus, everything God does. He saves people and then he changes people. And this is what's different about Christianity and all the other religions of the world. We start with come and then we become. What's our mission? Come as you are. And then they're in order. And then become the person that God created you to be. You're not going to become unless you come. With, with Jesus, it's you come to God first. And then, because you can't do it on your own, God changes you. God helps you to become the person that he created you to be. In scripture, we call this the principle of grace. It's all through scripture. God saves by grace. In Wesleyan circles, we call it prevenient grace. It's grace that goes before. It's grace that's coming out to get you. It's leaving the 99 to go get the one. Grace goes out to get you, to bring you home. So come as you are. Craig Grishel, uh, I heard him say the other day, there are two types of love. And those two types of love kind of differentiate between how we see ourselves and how the rest of the world sees themselves. It, it, it separates those people who live in darkness and those people who live in light. The first type of love is a love that loves because the object is valuable. Maybe you have a truck and you don't, don't you bring your drink in my truck because you will mess up the... Anybody? maybe you got a set of golf clubs and you're like, I can't use them because then they'll get grass stains on them. So we just look at them. Maybe you got a necklace you only wear at certain times. It's super value or a, a shirt that you just, you spend a lot of money on and it just fits perfectly and it, it's just a good shirt. Baby, you look fly in that shirt. However young people say those type of things now. My problem is, I never felt good enough to be loved like that. I, I look at myself and I just see a bunch of flaws. I see a past. I see mistakes that I've made. I, see, I look at myself in the mirror and all I can see is the bad stuff. Like I don't feel like I can have that kind of love. I'm too insecure. In fact, in my life, so many of my bad habits have been formed, I've now learned later in life, have been formed because I don't see myself as worthy to be loved. And so I do things like, I, I value your opinion of me more than I value my wife's opinion of me. I do things like overwork myself at work because I need to earn people's respect and I need to be seen as valuable and I don't trust that people will just assume that I'm doing good. I've got to prove it to everybody. So I end up spending more time at work than with my kids. So many of the unhealthy things that are in my life, if I look back at the origins of why that habit was formed, I see some insecurity that I have of, in of myself. Here's the good news. There's a second kind of love. 
And the second kind of love is a love that loves and gives value to an object. As a kid, did anybody have a favorite stuffed animal? Don't lie. Yes, you did. It was a blanket. You're like, it wasn't an animal. It was a superhero. I don't know. Whatever it was. Both of my sons have a dog. And they, somebody gave our sons this dog. And uh, it's called a taggy. You know why? Because it has tags on it. And uh, they love this dog. So when Titus was born, Lincoln loved his so much that we got Titus one. And guess what? He loves it just as much as Lincoln does. They can't sleep without it. They can't go through life without it. If we go on a trip, we've like put backup dogs in all of our suitcases just in case we accidentally go on the trip without the dogs, right? Why? Because there's no sleeping. There's no comfort. There is no light in my kid's life unless they have this dumb dog. I'm getting attacked by a moth. He wants the dog. And the funny thing is, they both have a dog. And they know instantly. They can tell you from across the room whose dog is whose. If, they lay, if, if Titus lays down in bed, but somehow Lincoln's dog ended up in Titus's bed, stop everything. We got to go switch dogs. I got the wrong dog. I can't sleep. Actually, the reality is their dogs, they're not just, they don't, they don't look like the picture anymore. Don't tell them I brought this. Now the dog is like gross and stinky. And we've washed it. This one has had a hole in it that we sewed up. It's gross. And you would assume, okay, now you should stop loving the dog, right? Because it's gross and it smells bad. The reason why you know whose dog is whose is because you can smell it from across the room. If you tried to sell this dog at a garage sale, nobody would buy it. It is worth nothing. Why do my sons love this dog so much? In fact, they love it more the more dirty it gets. It's not the value of the dog. It's my son's love for the dog that makes the dog valuable. What makes the dog valuable is not the dog. It's worth nothing. Titus's love for the dog makes it valuable. It's the reason why we make sure when we go on vacation that it's the thing you don't leave behind in the hotel. Before we're leaving, everybody says, do we have the dogs? You would assume that would be the thing that you say about the most valuable possession you have. What makes this the most valuable possession? Their love for it makes it our most valuable possession. You know where I'm going with this. What makes you valuable? God's love for you makes you valuable. It's all that matters. The Apostle Paul said that while you were still sinning, while you were actively rebelling against God, when you were doing everything you could, you were the prodigal son, you were running away from God, while you were still sinning, Christ 
died for you, how valuable are you? How much does God love you? God does not love you because you are worthy. He can make a new one that's better than you. He does not love you because you have special skills, because you behave correctly, because you say the right words or do the right things or because you're strong enough. God loves you because you are his. And God's love makes you worthy. I made sure all throughout my kid's life that they know the difference between a prize and a present. I always tell them, I say, a prize is earned. If you do something good, I will give you a prize sometimes. But a present is different. I'm giving it to you whether you earn it or not. I'm giving it to you whether you deserve it or not. I'm not withholding presents on Christmas because you were not good on Christmas Eve. Because I want them to know that there are some things that I do for them that has nothing to do with their behavior and it is entirely because of my love for them. Purely because I love you. You need to know that you do not earn my love. I love you unconditionally no matter what, whether you're good or bad. This is God's love for you. It has nothing to do with your behavior, whether you are good or bad. And what does knowing that you are loved do for you? Here's what I've seen over and over again. It brings light. It opens our eyes. eyes, Because light extinguishes darkness. If you feel like you are living in darkness, you need to know that you are loved unconditionally. That God's got you. Even beyond this life, even when your body dies, God's got you. Because you are eternally his child. If you're here today and you have not received that kind of light, if you have not begun a fellowship with God that gives light to you, don't wait. Don't put yourself through that torture anymore. Don't keep running to the darkness that the world has to offer you. Don't keep following the blind guides. Say yes to Jesus. There's a card in the chair in front of you that says, I have decided. Or if you want to online, you can fill out that response card and let us know that today you are making a decision. That you are ready to say yes to Jesus. If you go to yes.church307.com, there's some more information about some next steps that you can take. If you're in the room, fill out that card. You can drop it in the box in the back of the room or there will be somebody up here at the front who would love to pray with you or have a conversation with you if you'd rather talk to somebody about it. Run to the light. Say yes to Jesus. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that I can't earn it. I thank you that all my screw-ups don't disqualify me. God, I pray that you would help me to see who I am in you. Help me to see what gives me value. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to perform, but surrender. I love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.